From Washington, D.C. and around the world, this is Government Matters with Francis Rose. Thanks for watching Government Matters, the only show covering the latest news, trends, and topics that matter to the business of government. Francis is out today. I'm your host, Marjorie Sensor. The Defense Department can take up to four months to fix parts of the Joint Enterprise Defense Infrastructure Contract, according to a judge's decision. Federal Judge Patricia Campbell-Smith's order says the Pentagon can, quote, reconsider aspects of the procurement challenged in this protest action. NextGov reports the Pentagon says it will start work on revisions to the proposal immediately. The union that represents Department of Veterans Affairs healthcare workers is circulating a petition for the agency to recognize a Bill of Rights for those employees. The American Federation of Government Employees says the agency has to ration personal protective equipment because of shortages. FCW reports the Bill of Rights would include mandatory PPE, hazard pay, and weather and safety leave. Contractors who can't work remotely can still earn pay through September 30th, according to new guidance from the Office of Management and Budget. Acting Deputy Director for Management Michael Regis writes agencies can reimburse companies at, quote, the minimum applicable contract billing rates up to an average of 40 hours a week. GovExec reports the guidance is retroactive to March 27th. Presidential transition teams typically move into General Services Administration office space after the summer conventions. This year, the coronavirus outbreak is already affecting the schedule, pushing the Democratic National Convention from July to August. David Marchick is the director for the Center for Presidential Transition at the Partnership for Public Service. Thanks for joining us, Dave. Thanks for having me. How is the crisis so far affecting the presidential transition process? Well, I think that it's intensified the importance of the transition planning process. Uh, it's probably going to be the most important transition since 1932 when we were in the midst of a great recession. I did a podcast yesterday, which we released today on Transition Lab with Admiral James Stavridis, and he basically said this is the biggest crisis we've had since World War II, and the intensity combines what the worst of 9-11 and the financial crisis. So what that means is whomever wins the next presidency, whether it's President Trump or Vice President Biden, they're going to be facing some mammoth tasks, and it means each side needs to be ready more than ever. What does that mean for the transition process specifically, do you think? Well, I think that it means that they need to intensify their planning. They need to prepare for the possibility of a virtual transition. They need to prepare for the possibility that the country needs crisis management at a time of great vulnerability, which is a ch potential change in government or potential movement to a second term. And so I think that it just intensifies the importance of pre-election planning so that whomever the next president is, is ready on the day after the election. That seems like it poses a challenge that they really need to be, you know, going into high gear on the transition, just as we're seeing some delays, um, you know, making it hard to, to get working. Uh, do you have advice? What should these teams be doing that, 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 um, to, to cope with this? Well, there are a lot of lessons learned from previous transitions. I'll give you one example. During the uh, 2008 transition, the day after the election, the uh, Obama who won started cooperating with the outgoing president, President Bush. Josh Bolton led the effort for the Bush administration. And we were at a time, we were in a time of a financial crisis. The Wednesday after the election, the day after the election, the Dow dropped over 500 points. And so what it required was both sides to cooperate together in the spirit of true bipartisanship. And for Obama and Bush 
to cooperate, even though there was only one president at the time. And so if there is a change in leadership, if Vice President Biden is the winner, then it will require both Trump and Biden to cooperate. If President Trump wins, it will require the Democrats to work with President Trump to help him solve the country's problems. You mentioned also that we may be seeing um, a virtual transition process. What do you think that would look like? Well, I think everybody's trying to figure that out right now. Obviously, the law allows for the GSA to provide the challenger with space after the second political convention. So the second political convention is a Republican convention. So the law requires that the, the GSA provide the Biden campaign with space on September 3rd. If we're not back in offices by that time, it means we're going to have to uh, perform this from a remote basis, which creates even more challenges for both the Trump team and the Biden team, because planning a transition is complicated enough, but doing it on a virtual basis makes it even more complicated. Sure. Are there, um, again, things that they could be doing now to try to think about that the technolo technology piece of that? Well, I think they're figuring out. Technology companies are providing solutions. Uh, it will be even more important for the technology to be secure because we know that transitions are a time of great vulnerability. We know that foreign powers are going to try to hack into the activities of both sides. And it means that they need to plan to have huge teams in place working virtually to be prepared to take over uh, on November 4th, the day after the election, and prepare over the 75 days or so between the election and transition. And what are you doing at the Partnership for Public Service to, to help this process? Well, we are working with three constituencies. The Trump administration, which is preparing for a possible second term, the career federal workforce, the agencies who are responsible for preparing for either eventuality, a Trump re-election or a Biden election. And then we've been working with all the, the Democratic campaigns. Now there's just one standing, Vice President Biden's. And so we're prepared to support them as they get their transition planning going. And I'm interested in, in what this might mean for um, you know future transition teams. Do you think that the, the transition process that we see this year might have some repercussions for, for future transitions and suggest that things should be done differently? Well, I think we're in unprecedented times. A positive news is that Vice President Biden last week said that he was already working on transition planning. That's good. That's We, we applaud that. It's consistent with what other candidates had done around this time. So both President Obama and candidates Clinton and Trump started getting their transition teams ready around this time in their last cycles. And then they ramped up their operations so that the day after the election, they were ready to have 500, 700, almost 1,000 people go into the agencies and start the work of forming a government. Um, we're in unprecedented times because no one really knows how to do this on a virtual basis. But that's what people are figuring out right now. Just like career government officials around the government are working out how they can manage their important functions on a remote basis. Thank you so much, David Marchick. Thank you for having me. Up next, IT modernization and what it'll take to respond to the coronavirus. Straight ahead on Government Matters, what still needs updating and the money it'll take to make the necessary improvements. You're watching WJLA 24-7 News.
The coronavirus relief bill includes funding for telework and remote operations at federal agencies, but no additional money for the Technology Modernization Fund. The House version of the bill proposed $3 billion for the fund. Here with suggestions for IT modernization, Gordon Bitko is Senior Vice President of Policy at the Information Technology Industry Council. He's former Chief Information Officer of the FBI. Thank you for being here, Gordon. Thanks for having me on today, Marjorie. And let me start first by expressing the hope that everybody there is healthy and well and dealing with the pandemic without any difficulties or with as few difficulties as possible these times. Thanks. Let's start, start by talking about the, the steps that you all are recommending. Um, what are you s telling Congress and OMB about what they should be doing? Yeah, really what we're looking at, Marjorie, is that there's a range of things that government needs to do to rethink the way that it works in this environment. And that means investing in technology and processes and people in ways that enable government organizations across the board, from federal to state to local, to really um, redo the way they deliver services to citizens. Government never really thought before, at least in my experience, about this sort of model of for an extended period of time, having its workforce distributed across their homes and working from their home offices. And that means rethinking the way that those services are done. So really that's what we're asking for. And that means investing in the underlying infrastructure. It means rethinking the way those services are delivered and modernizing them. And it means investing in security as well, because people are working from home. The risks are very different than when you're working in a government office. How do you think that those investments would really make a difference for the government? Yeah, there's a couple of today that are pretty high profile of, of challenges that the government's had in getting to its citizens what they need. And you can start with the most basic things like telemedicine and, and education, right? Those are foundational services that people expect out of the government in one way or another. And the infrastructure to support them is, is struggling to keep up for understandable reasons. We need to rethink the way those things are done so that we can be prepared better next time. Then you can look at examples like the unemployment insurance systems in various states. The state of New Jersey, my original home state, the governor made a public plea for COBOL programmers because the system is so out, outdated that it runs on a, on a programming language that you haven't learned in, in school in 30 or 40 or 50 years. And, and so those systems need to be modernized so that they can better deal with these types of challenges in the future. Are you seeing an appetite to make these kinds of changes? On the one hand, perhaps the need has never been more clear. On the other hand, you know, we're dealing with a pandemic. Where does that, what are you seeing from governments and their interest in this? Yeah, that's a really good point, Marjorie, and something that we need to think about. And, and certainly the FIRST CARES Act and, and a lot of the uh, other relief package investments and discussion have really been focused on what do we need to do to keep people uh, to sustain their, their lifestyles, right? To, to cover insurance, to help with their jobs, to help with, with small business loans. And that's all, all right and what, and what should be done and what the priorities should be. But looking out ahead to hopefully a light at the end of the tunnel somewhere down the road, we really do need to rethink some of these things from a, from a government perspective. And so uh, we are hearing some interest. We are hearing people up on the Hill who are expressing concern about these issues. And, and want to know what the right strategy and the right approach is. There's been movement on some potential proposed uh, investments in state and local cybersecurity. I think that's a good start. And there's been other willingness at least to have these discussions. Your organization has contacted uh, both Capitol Hill and OMB. What do you think the roles of, of or the role of each organization should be in this? 
what we're really looking to from OMB and the federal agencies is to step back and to think about what's it going to take to invest to enable this sort of telework, this sort of remote delivery of services. And that's going to be different for every agency. You can look at what we would expect out of Health and Human Services, who's going to need to rethink healthcare delivery. That's going to be very different from what the Department of Education is going to have to do, or the Department of Labor, to say nothing of the Department of Defense, Homeland Security, and so on. So what we're really looking to OMB to do is to work with those agencies and to think through their various modernization plans and programs that they have today. And they all have some, but to step back and to rethink how they should be investing in them to make sure that we can deliver services to citizens in this more challenging environment. So exactly what that's going to look like, I, I think the answer is it's going to go very differently in each agency because they're all at different points in that life cycle. And what do you think is the role of Congress here? Congress should be encouraging agencies to look to use the tools that they have. The Tech Modernization Fund is a really good example of that. It's a tool that already exists that enables Congress to get money out to the agencies relatively quickly. They should be looking to do more of that and to hold agencies accountable for actually modernizing. I think another piece that's important for Congress is a lot of what agencies are going to do at the federal level and at the state and local level for understandable reasons is is plugging gaps, right? That everybody's going to have shortfalls right now and just keeping the lights on and keeping things going. Congress should be understanding that that's one objective. The other objective is this longer term. How do we rethink government resiliency and continuity of operations and delivery of services? And that's going to require, like I said, using more forward-leaning things like the Tech Modernization Fund and setting expectations for shifting a lot of the resources from these old legacy systems to more modern technology and more modern solutions. Thanks for joining me. Thank you very much for having me today. Up next, the government's response to the coronavirus in the short term and the long term. Straight ahead on Government Matters, best practices for government actions now and months after the pandemic has ended. Don't forget, if you missed an episode of Government Matters, you can find it on our website, govmatters.tv. Agencies have mostly adapted to increased telework, but the government's coronavirus response is just getting started. A new report from Deloitte highlights actions the government should take now and the next steps once the pandemic has ended. Bill Eggers is executive director at the Center for Government Insights at Deloitte. Thanks for being here. It's great to be with you today. What are some of the main takeaways from your report? Well, first of all, it's great to be on your show. Um, as Governor Cuomo said yesterday in his news briefing, Government matters today at a level it hasn't in decades. And so the purpose and title of your show has never been more important. Um, what we're looking at is government's response to the COVID uh, epidemic, pandemic. And really this response happens within three phases. The respond phase, the recover phase, and the thrive phase. And that occurs over three different fronts. The healthcare front, the economic front, and the business of government front. So right now we're in the respond phase. Um, this is where we are today. Governments are dealing with an immediate crisis. Uh, governments are trying to flatten and bend down the curve, and they're trying to deal with a massive surge in demand for public services and benefits right now. Um, governments will be in this stage until they bend the curve down and get more stabilization. 
But in a number of states, we are quickly moving into the recovery phase. And the focus of the recovery phase is really about um, both bending the healthcare curve down, but steepening the economic recovery curve up. And that requires a whole variety of things, such as, of course, a massive increase in testing. We're gonna see probably another, uh, another stimulus bill, which will come as phase four, and a variety of other things happening right there. And a big focus will be on reopening the economy on a state-by-state -state basis. Next, we're gonna move into the thrive phase. And that's a number of months away, probably more towards the, the fall, winter. And that's essentially where governments don't wanna go back to normal again, uh, or the private sector, because they've learned so much during this uh, response phase. And so there's gonna be a new normal. And that's where you're looking at long-term improvements in government operations and much better resiliency and taking all of the lessons that have been learned from this pandemic response and applying them to the future of government. You, you noted that a lot of most governments are, are really in this response phase. How can they be planning for or preparing for the, the next few phases while they're dealing with this, this very challenging phase? Yes, well, that 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 is absolutely a key point. And that's where you need what we're called two-gear government, where you are both responding to this phase and you're having to deliver traditional government services and you're having to prepare for the next wave. Look, this is the biggest mobilization of government since World War II. We haven't seen anything like it. I wrote a book a number of years ago, which looked at over 70 big government initiatives since World War II and what we could tell about why some succeeded and why some failed. This is bigger than just about all of them. This is the biggest we've seen since World War II. And, you know, governments, I think, have done a really great job in different parts of the world around different elements of it. I mean, you can look at South Korea and Taiwan in terms of what they did with, obviously, with testing and contact tracing. You can look at New York, at New York and New York City and not being overwhelmed by the huge surge in patients in terms of overwhelming the capacity of their healthcare system. Uh, and so right now, governments really are focused on this notion of the reopening, both of the economy, but also of government operations. You noted that we've seen a lot of different responses so far. Do you feel like you've already been able to identify maybe some pitfalls, some best practices from, from what we've seen so far? <laughs> Sure, I think there are a number of things that people generally agree are, are important. And in the in the next time, hopefully there's not another one of these or if there's a second wave that will be done in, in a certain way. Again, you look in South Korea and you look in Taiwan, they're able to actually contain the virus through mass testing and contact tracing. That's obviously going to be important if there is a second wave. Um, another another really key element here is again not overwhelming the capacity of the healthcare system. So we might have to do some more social distancing in in the future. In other words, in order to bend that curve down. I think another thing that's not talked about as much that's been really really important is what we call execution by network, um, where the governments that were able to really mobilize the private sector technology companies, innovators, universities, research labs, and everything to act in concert to address this. It's really, really important because again, 
a lot of this has really overwhelmed the capacity of government to do this by themselves. So being able to be a convener and integrator of those networks are absolutely critical. With just about a minute to go, I'm sure that that Thrive um, phase feels far away to a lot of uh, people and government agencies right now. What um, <coughs> advice or recommendations would you make to get them from, from response to recovery to Thrive? You know, I don't think it's as far away as you might think of. I can't tell you how many government officials I've talked to who have said, you know, we've had to innovate right now and digitize operations and do these things remotely because we had to due to the virus. And we're not going back to the same way we did things before. We're going to either have a hybrid model or we're going to have a full digital model. Um, and I think there's a number of shifts we're going to see. We're going to see kind of being ready for remote everything. We're going to see accelerated uh, certainly push for digitization and digital ID. We're gonna see a big push for more anticipatory government uh, using predictive analytics and everything to make sure that we're not just responding uh, to this, but we're actually able to prevent some of these things from occurring. And we're gonna see resilience by design coming forward. We're a really, real strong focus on being resilient so we can deal with the whether the next pandemic, climate change and other sort of big issues. Thanks so much for being here, Bill Eggers. Thank you so much. I'm Sharice Hanner. You can now stay on top of all things that matter to the business of government anywhere, anytime. Subscribe to the Government Matters podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, SoundCloud, TuneIn, or simply ask your digital assistant to play the Government Matters podcast. For a quick fix of government news, follow us on Twitter. Our handle is at GovMattersTV. That's the latest from Washington. Join us weeknights at 8 and 11 on WJLA 24-7 News and Sunday mornings at 10.30 on ABC7 to stay plugged in on issues that matter to the business of government. Thanks for watching. I'm Marjorie Sensor. Thanks for listening. Our daily program is produced by Sharice Hanner and Ashley Gallagher. Christy Marriott leads our technical crew. Our web editor is Andrew Wagner. Government Matters was created by George Jackson. Visit govmatters.tv for articles, videos, and more, including our first feature-length documentary, The Dawn of Generation AI. Government Matters is recorded at WJLA-TV in Washington, D.C. Copyright Sinclair Broadcast Group.